Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by AquariumCoop.com, your home for all of your betta needs. And why do I say betta needs? Because today's episode, we're going to talk a lot about bettas with my guest. So what do we have on the co-op website? You can get a betta decal, extreme betta pellets, a betta floating log by Zoomed, the floating betta exercise mirror, Hikari betta bio gold pellets, and a ton of articles and blogs about betta. So check it out. Five best tank mates for your betta fish, top 10 betta fish plants for your aquarium, top five best betta fish foods you need to try. All of it is on aquariumcoop.com. All you have to do is type in the word betta in the search bar and all of these awesome things will come up. And now on to the interview. Today's date is Monday, January 4th, 2021. My guest today is Jeanne Souza. Jeanne is a longtime keeper, breeder, shower, and judge of bettas, both domestic and wild strains. Jeanne runs the information packed website called Inglorious Bettas, where she has blogs and all other manner of content to help you be a successful betta fanatic. Quite fittingly, Jeanne is a high school biology teacher and has earned a master's degree in biomedical sciences from the University of California, San Francisco. So, Jeanne, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, Biomedical sciences versus just uh, like medical sciences? Like what, 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 what is the distinction for the bio aspect of that? Huh, I think it was just more basic research at the bench. So my particular research was on um, host. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. I'm kind of nervous. I don't know why I'm nervous. <laughs> it's like we were talking fine for an hour before this. And, and then you hit the record point. and everything changes. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was studying like innate um innate immune interactions between the host for humans and tuberculosis. So I I don't know what makes it biomedical versus medical. I was looking at more the basic side of it, I guess. Gotcha. Gotcha. mm -hmm. And what in to completely diverge as I like to do or end (laughs) up doing, um, what makes tuberculosis so infectious even to this day? And like, why don't we have a good rap on that? I guess. Oh, geez. It's a complicated interaction and it's long-term, right? The tuberculosis bacteria has found out many, many ways to thwart the immune system and to establish long-term infection and to reactivate and become active again much later in life. So, um, and that, because it kind of insists itself into the lungs, it becomes extremely resistant to drugs. Um, so that's probably why we still have it <laughs> around. Okay. okay. <laughs> and, and and I think maybe for me, because I didn't pay attention nearly enough in high school biology like I should have, <laughs> um, differences between like bacteria, um, viruses, diseases, like his, his and, and, and where I'm trying to, to draw the correlation here for listeners is you go down your local fish, lo- local fish store aisle of medicines, right? And yes. something treats gram positive bacteria, something treats, you know, this type of infection. Like what are the, like what, what's like the most core breakdown between those things that you might be able to help a, a non-scientific noob like myself um, mm-hmm. better understand like that kind of difference? Yeah, um, I guess if you're trying to treat a certain parasite, whether it's bacterial or viral or even, um, you know, something that's multicellular like a worm, right, a nematode, um, just to do a lot of research and figure out what drug could potentially be beneficial because each drug has been formulated to attack a very, very specific protein or flag on the surface of that organism, right? The surface of a gram-positive bacteria 
is completely different from a gram-negative bacteria. There's like all sorts of different proteins on the surface. And the drugs were formulated to attack very specific ones. So one drug's not going to work on another drug. Right. Uh, that's why you want to look at the active ingredient of anything that you're using and to uh, make sure it matches whatever you're trying to treat. And what, what makes a bacteria, and this is where like California public education system <laughs> might have failed Randy, or Randy, oh no. Randy just failed himself in general by not paying attention. <laughs> um, bacteria versus virus. Mm-hmm. Like what is that most basic breakdown between like what what makes a bacteria a bacteria what makes a virus a virus oh geez you're asking the hard <laughs> questions is it i thought it's gonna be like you're a moron randy it's like oh no it's it's, it's like how easy. do i how do i simplify <laughs> not simplify that's not the right word how do <laughs> how do i make the distinction right here? um so bacteria are um unicellular so they're made out of one cell right a living unit and they have their own membrane and depending on if it's gram positive gram negative that negative that membrane is going to be different right mm-hmm. um anyway so bacteria is made out of a cell basic human or basic unit of mm-hmm. life a virus on the other side is called an we call it an obligate parasite it can't live on its own uh, they can travel from one organism to another, mm-hmm. but it can't reproduce or replicate itself, rather, not reproduce, replicate itself without being inside of another thing. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of the main difference. So like, virus is more parasitic in nature, where mm, yeah. bacteria can kind of just exist on its own? Depending on the bacteria, okay. yes. Okay. <laughs> Depending <laughs> on the bacteria. But viruses, yes, they need, they're obligate parasites, they need to... Um, co-opt a host machinery in order to remake themselves mm-hmm. and to spread more of themselves. Um, whether viruses are living or not is its own exam question. <laughs> oh, nice. Is, is yeah. there a right answer to that? Or does it depend um, on, like, the virus? Or Honestly, it depends on how well the student reasons with it. <laughs> oh, okay. But, yeah, there's, like, there's like five basic tenets of life uh-huh. like, that govern whether something is living or non-living. And uh, there are arguments that viruses have some, but not all, of those uh, different qualities. Interesting. Yeah, the fact that it can't, quote-unquote, live on its own, it can't replicate without using something else, kind of makes it, quote-unquote, non-living. Interesting. Oh, yeah. very cool, very cool. So yes. see, that's like the hardest question <laughs> within the first five minutes of the interview, right? And everything yeah. is just us talking about fish nerd I thought stuff. we were talking about fish. <laughs> you said you listen to the podcast. You know I, I do, do this kind of stuff. I know, but, I know. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's super, super interesting. And it, this is honestly something where just like me personally, I need to go and just give myself a little biology 101 and, and update myself on that. Um, Okay, so I, I digress. Uh, Jan, let's let's just jump straight into the origin section. And I guess what also would be fun to preface this is that you have some serious like back history with the aquarium co-op. Uh-huh, You're originally yeah. from the Edmonds, Washington area, mm-hmm. uh, which is where the aquarium co-op retail store is. Um, and you were you were saying a fun fact that when you and Corey had done a live stream before, uh-huh. your YouTube channel was larger than the aquarium co-op the, YouTube channel at, at the, the time, time, which is yeah. awesome. <laughs> That's oh so my cool. goodness! Uh, it's just because I had been doing it. Yeah. longer I think yeah. before Corey like I mean and Corey when he does something he does it 200 300 percent I have you know? not noticed that <laughs> I have not <laughs> noticed that about my boss and no me, me my, <laughs> my channel is just kind of like oh when I feel like it yeah. I'm gonna put something up totally totally if it's fun it's fun if it goes well it goes well you know yeah so, yeah so um, what what is your <laughs> what is your origin story as a as a fish keeper what are your mm-hmm. earliest memories in the hobby oh goodness earliest memories uh, gosh, I always feel like I've been surrounded by 
animals and fish and plants. Um, I, re oh, I remember my earliest memory now. I had a goldfish named Mr. Orange. <laughs> this is like, I like when it. I was like barely speaking, like a tiny child, okay? And I had Mr. Orange. My mom brought him from the store. I was so happy. I had a goldfish, probably in a fishbowl, you know, horrible. Sure, sure. And then I remember um, seeing my cat the next day. Uh, and my cat was wet up to the elbows. Oh, boy. And I clearly remember that's when I learned cause and effect. <laughs> I remember. I, re I learned how to figure out from the evidence of the cat being wet up to the elbows where my missing Mr. Orange had gone. Oh, like I, my goodness. That so was your yeah. first Sherlock Holmes kind of, uh, yes. you know, kind of real-life scenario. <laughs> now I remember. What is it? Deductive reasoning? Is that? Something, yes, yes. <laughs> from the evidence. Yeah, what can yeah. you infer? And I just... I just remember crying and, you know, we got another Mrs. Orange and nice. <laughs> kind of went from there. Did so. you seal the lid on the second one? Uh, yes. We okay. got a different fish tank with a lid that gotcha. was impenetrable by cats. Gotcha. So, um, but yeah, that's my earliest memory. Gotcha. And Gosh, so it's been a while since I thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, we just dragged up some emotional <laughs> wounds. Yeah, some serious <laughs> The first five minutes we hit you with like, explain to a dum-dum bacteria versus viruses. Oh, no. And then Jan, please drag up your most painful memories <laughs> of childhood. I've been on winter break, you know? Like I haven't been thinking about, anyway, yes. Yeah, welcome to the hot seat. <laughs> it gets real in here. Um, so, so then how did your experience progress through, through the hobby then? Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess I was, we just always had fish. I remember we had a 10 gallon tank. Um, I didn't really take care of it, unfortunately. It was more my mom's thing, you know? And um, I remember, this is how ignorant I know we were. When we cleaned the fish tank, we would take all the gravel. Oh yeah. Yeah, and oh, like yeah. rinse Scorster. it Scorster. underneath <laughs> the chloramine water. Oh no, here we don't have chloramine. Mm -hmm. California has chloramine under the chlorine water. Um, just to really make sure it's clean, you know? Um, so I think I started reading more about it really in high school. Uh, started to get interested in genetics and um, really, really started getting interested in it in, uh, in graduate school. So whenever I moved down to San Francisco, um, I had my own place. I was able to have as many fish tanks as I wanted. Like, I'd always had fish in my dorms, mainly bettas. Nice. Um, always had four or five, you know, above the legal limit of how many fish tanks <laughs> you could have in a college dorm. Um, but well, I never... Just large, they're just large water containers, right? Exactly, I mean, exactly. It's, I, could, I could drink from that if I want to. <laughs> yeah, and there was a really good fish store in Pullman, Washington. I went to Washington State, by the way. And, um, yeah, there's a great fish store there. And, um, yeah, I always kept fish, but I didn't start really breeding them and getting crazy about them until I moved out to California and had my own room in an apartment, finally, that I could fill literally to the brim with fish mm. tanks. So, and so, uh, so let's, let's take you back to, um, you know, you, you had a 10 gallon tank, your mom kind of took care of it. <laughs> was, was it just more of like for the family, kind of a fun thing to have, or was it, was there anybody like that was a serious aquarist in your, in your immediate or extended family? No. Okay. Yeah. It was just, we just kind of had it. I mean, thinking back even further, like I had more insects than I had fish. Oh, you're, like, one, of, you're one of those. Yeah, people. I had a lot. I wanted to be an entomologist. So I had like tons of praying mantises, beetles. So when and, you see a yeah. praying mantis take down a hummingbird, <laughs> yes. does a little part of you cry inside? Because that is like the set. That's like second, I mean, I like birds second too. to a snake eating something. <laughs> Watching a praying mantis just go like aliens. 
grab a hummingbird at the feeder. The hummingbird's just trying to get some like sweet water, right? Yes. And all of a yeah. sudden, whack! Praying mantis <laughs> gets it. That like breaks my heart. So And I, they're incredibly strong too. Yeah, like, yeah thank uh, God bugs are small. <laughs> yeah. Or it'd be starship they troopers. Take over the world. Yeah. yeah. For sure. <laughs> So, um, I don't know. I think it's cool. I, I am also a bird lover. I have two parakeets. Um, so anyway. <laughs> nice. Uh, so then, so then I guess kind of growing up, then you guys just typically had like community fish tanks, um, mm -hmm. small, smaller, like nano-y fish. Yeah. Kinda. I, I rem one fish that jumps out to me is like this, what is it? A Chinese algae eater is mm -hmm. what they used to be called. I'm not sure what their actual, um, designation is but the, the guys that don't actually eat the algae no right? the yes. ones that suck off the scales of the other fish like i i saw it you know it got huge and it started to do that this is so time relevant yeah um oh actually yeah my grandfather why am i just remembering all of this stuff he um he used to keep koi fish in a you know it, he said it was a hundred gallon tank it was like a 30 gallon <laughs> tank you know one of those and um I remember he kept those for a while. The koi got ginormous, way larger than mm -hmm. the, you know, we shouldn't have been keeping them in a tank. And then I remember um, there was an earthquake and it, you know, collapsed the tank and it spewed water everywhere. And he never kept fish again after, uh, until, until I got into fish after graduate school uh -huh. and then he got way into the vetas too nice so um, that's awesome yeah kind of but i remember yeah. that now well yeah. I, I brought up the so i said <laughs> that the chinese algae eater you brought that up that's so time relevant because my mm -hmm. dad um who's had a 20 gallon for I, I think he has it set up for probably like maybe going on a year now um mm -hmm. he had visited uh, you know sometime in the summertime or maybe it's like a year and a half ago I don't, I don't know when the last time he came up but he came up from California and dropped off some of my old Star Wars toys, like the kid paraphernalia that he was still holding on to. So now I have all my old Star <laughs> Wars toys and Exo Squad and all that cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being a kid from the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and I sent him home with cherry shrimp and uh, some like water lettuce and guppy grass and hornwort. And I think some of that had some rainbow fish eggs on it. But nonetheless, um, he's telling me that like the guppies were doing well and now they're, they're dying and they're disappearing. And he also mentioned that he has a Chinese algae eater. Oh, I'm like, of course. He's like, yeah. well, his first question was, are the cherry shrimp eating the guppies? And I'm like, well, what's, the guppies are probably dying somehow. Mm -hmm. And then they're just doing what scavengers do and completely decimating the entire carcass. And I even theorize that they eat the bones because mm -hmm. I've seen it before where like, there was a thing there, there was a guppy and now it's completely it's, gone. It's gone. There's no yeah. bones, right? Yeah. So that they're probably doing their scavenger thing. Um, but they're certainly not like actively picking off live healthy guppies. I mm -hmm. cannot imagine. I don't think I've ever heard that. I've never seen that before. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't. I haven't heard of it. But now that you say that Chinese algae eater, I'm <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that guy's probably bullying them. But now if you're saying that they also will actively like just straight munch on scales and mm -hmm. get down on, on a fish that way. And I told him in the text, I'm like, you, you got to get mm -hmm. rid of that fish. Yeah. Like one, it's not eating algae. So <laughs> that's n doing you no good. And now it's just mm -hmm. going crazy on your, uh, on your guppies. Yeah. So. And I want to mention, I don't think that was like normal behavior by any means. Mm. I just don't think we knew how to take care of the tank properly. Maybe it was starving in some way. I don't know. <sighs> this sounds horrible. But, <laughs> but I mean, I, I just didn't know at but the you time. You but know? you, I think you do hear <laughs> reports though, that those guys can be, they can be aggressive and mm -hmm. that they're, when, when somebody goes to get a Siamese algae eater and mm -hmm. they've mislabeled a Chinese algae eater as a Siamese algae eater, yeah. you're then buying something that doesn't eat algae but also has more aggressive tendencies because mm -hmm. then the Siamese are also a little bit, a little ornery. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that kind of fits. I feel like those pieces just kind of, it's mm -hmm. like, all right, well, that, that seems like that may be what's happening. And then for you to kind of confirm that, 
to mm-hmm. an extent. To um, an, I mean, I was a child, yeah. so. <laughs> well, we're gonna <laughs> hold, we're gonna hold twelve-year-old Jean to that <laughs> when I tell my dad I do to remember, get rid of that though, fish. I do have memories of that fish like sucking on the side and then leaving like red marks, you know. So, um, yeah. I'll ask him that. I'll ask him if any <laughs> of the wonder. guppies actually have like. Did he say? I don't want to dig up the text, but I'm, I'm going to go back. <laughs> and I think he might have even have said that he's noticed something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. you go from, like, having a totally healthy, vibrant population to, you know, um, this guy getting a little older. Because when they're younger and smaller, they're not aggressive. They're so cute when they're little. And then as they get bigger, that's when they start getting yeah. ornery. And, and so. ours was, got huge. Like, mm-hmm. it was an older fish. Um, again, child years. Yeah. Everything seems longer when you're yeah. a child. I, but. It seemed big. Yeah. Before I forget, because you brought up koi in California, did you ever go to Capital Aquarium in San Francisco? Or no, in Sacramento? I don't think so. Oh. Wait, Capital. Capital Aquarium. It was in downtown Sac. Mm. And um, they mm-hmm. had, as you go into it, they have mm-hmm. this massive waterfall off to the right. Uh-huh. And the water went down. They had a bridge going over. And so this uh-huh. is just to get into the store. Yeah. You know, planted plants everywhere. Oh, I would have remembered and that. And then yeah. massive koi. And they had the little 25 cent uh, or nickel, you know, koi uh-huh. f- uh, bubblegum gu- bubble dispenser. Oh, that's awesome. That thing, that that place was so amazing. <laughs> and I'm and I'm pretty sure it closed down a couple of years ago. But oh. that place was just awesome. And they had they had a couple three, 400-gallon tanks where they had just massive, um, you know, people dropping off their common plecos and mm. all the other fish that shouldn't be sold to, you know, uh, 90% of the aquarists <laughs> out there. Yeah, like, yeah. They had huge tanks filled with those. And I want to say they even had a, they had an electric eel that they nicknamed pg e so for for those that's not awesome. so, so for those not in California, PG&E is Pacific Gas and Electric. So that's what they named their uh, electric oh, eel. So that's awesome. Yeah, and this place was just was just so cool. Oh so man, cool. I missed out then because I actually did some research in, at um, Sacramento State. Um, Go Hornets, my one of my one of my <laughs> alumni schools. Yeah, gosh. Um, All right, Capital Aquarium. Yeah. For the viewers listening to this or for the listeners, I'm yeah. sorry. This is terrible. Gosh, I really me. missed out because I did a whole summer in um, Ron Coleman's lab, like his cichlid evolutionary. Um, gosh, I forget that the whole name of the lab is so, so long. Okay. So I'm exaggerating <laughs> the height of the waterfall. Yeah. <laughs> but, wow. But it was, I, I don't know. I guess I pictured it being like way up to the ceiling. So I did like the childhood That's thing. Cool. Where you think something's bigger than it actually was, but yeah. these koi though were massive, and so you'd uh-huh. walk in, you'd walk in from here, and everybody listening, I'm I'm showing her a picture of what this is. <laughs> you can Google Capital Aquarium Sacramento, and it's like one of the fourth or fifth pictures that shows up. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, you've got these massive, massive koi here, this cool waterfall, and then it would extend down here to the, you know, just to this other side of this bridge thing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, and it was super awesome. Amazing. Yeah, Capital Aquarium closes after 52 years, so that's the main Aww, entrance. Yep, and you can see that sad. bridge. Yeah, but that place was so cool, though. Mm-hmm. Um, Darn, I missed out. <laughs> look at him rocking his uh, Sac State shirt. <laughs> yeah, that makes me sad. All right. More sadness in this episode. <laughs> I know. Good job. Good job, Randy. We brought up so many things. <laughs> Is there anything positive we can talk about? <laughs> so let, when, did you, when did you get your first experience of bettas? Um, again, we had bettas growing up, but I had always kept them as just desk pets. Um, But it wasn't until I got, again, into graduate school 
in San Francisco, had my own place. And I was doing a, um, I was taking genetics uh, as a part of my graduate studies. And uh, it was a very intense take-home genetics exam, uh, graduate level. So this thing was like 15 pages long. And I just remember taking it home and procrastinating, obviously. And um, it, one of the projects that was inside of this take-home exam was looking at um, uh, Danio's, of course. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and I was looking at some gene or some other in a Danio that I didn't really care that much about. But I had been reading a little bit about beta genetics and um, kind of looking at the betas as well, looking at all the different forms and colors. And uh, instead of doing my take-home final <laughs> for graduate school, I made this like really elaborate Punnett square to create a double-tail crown tail, which is a very, very... Um, which is combining two recessive uh, fin traits in the betas uh, that I had, I saw maybe one video of it online, but I hadn't seen very many of them. And I wanted to see if I could uh, create one. And um, yeah, it was super fun. The video that I found was of um, a, a yellow, one. yeah, that one. So the double tail crown tail, yeah, that one. Wow. And uh, yeah, so a lot of- um, And so the double tail being is it mm -hmm. like this or it's split? It's uh, it's split along the longitudinal okay. axis. So if you look at the fish from the side, right, mm -hmm. the bottom, so the anal fin is much larger and broader than the dorsal fin normally, the fin on the top. So on a normal betta, the uh, dorsal fin is half the width of the anal fin at the bottom. But on a true double tail, the anal fin is uh, reflected up, or sorry, uh, mirrored up onto the top of the fish. Right, you see how they're about the same size and width. Wow! And then um, the caudal fin, so the tail fin, mm -hmm. is also uh, mirrored up on the top. And then there's um, double the rays at the base of the caudal fin, which makes it a double tail. <laughs> um, wow! So you can see there's. Uh, uh, so Randy is showing us. <laughs> he just uh, googled double tail crown tail, and there's a wide variety of um, how do you say of symmetry. Right, some mm -hmm. double tails uh, are better than others. Some are more symmetrical look than at, others. Look at this one. This is like a gothic rock star. Oh yeah, that's just there. a regular crown tail. <laughs> oh, that's but it's just cool. A yeah. Okay. So crown tail is when you have webbing reduction. Mm -hmm. So the the rays in the fin are the same length, but um, the webbing is reduced quite a bit, which makes the fish look super spiky and cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. And those are traits that I cared more about than uh, whatever was happening happening with the Danios in that paper. And then, um, yeah, it was a pretty fun home project for me to do. Like I, I, I assumed that there were no um, fish that were um, carrying any of these traits. So if I were to start with like a pure crown tail fish, pure crown tail, single tail fish, and a pure double tail, non-crown tail fish, how long would it take me to make a double tail crown tail? And um, I did, I think uh, I was able to boil it down to four Punnett squares. Did the, did the gender matter of which one had which trait to begin with? Mm, no, it okay. doesn't matter, okay. yeah. And um, I think, yeah, I made, I made four Punnett squares. Um, I wanted them, I wanted the population to be more homogeneous, like, um, Gosh, do you say it homogeneous or homogenous? I always forget. I think I say homogeneous. homogeneous? No, no, I think no, I think I say homogenous. No, I say homogenous. Now that I yeah. say it out loud. Right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Which people are like, Jeez. Randy, you don't say homogenous. What are you talking about? I know. I it's, swear. That's the problem when you read a lot but yeah. you don't talk a lot. 
<laughs> I mean, I talk a lot, but yeah. Anyway, Homo- sorry. To- totally homogenous, yeah. <laughs> homogenous. No, because no, it always reminds me of just saying of milk. Exactly. Just homogenous milk, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. But when you read it, you want to say homogeneous. Anyway, sorry, sidetrack. Um, That's anthropology. <laughs> um, you can get the double tail, crown tail, but only a very small percentage of them, right? If you were to do like it in to three fixed. crosses. You're trying to fix it. I was right? trying to fix mm-hmm. it. So um, my plan was like four Punnett squares. I was like, oh, this could take me two or three years. Let's do it. And then I got my fish and I started breeding and uh, it was super fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that was my main project. And then on the side, I wanted to do something a little easier and more well-known. So I also started working with uh, red and yellow bettas where yellow is just recessive to red. And uh, yeah, it was kind of started me on my whole crazy betta journey. Wow, so. Um, was just that genetics final that I didn't want to do. <laughs> how, how do we, how do we go, pack, we'll go back and <laughs> unpack some of that uh, double tail, crown tail experience? So what, um, I, I guess, where did you, you get your bettas from? Like how did that selection mm. process go down? Did you just pop into Petco or your local fish I store? And so this is where I uh, ran into um, California Betta Society. They were having a show. And uh, I went to my first ever betta show and uh, talked to lots of people. I brought my little blueprint of what I wanted to do. That's awesome. (laughs) It was super fun talking with other nerdy hobbyists. And we're still great friends to this day. And, um, yeah, it was super awesome. So I got some of my fish from that first show. Uh, Normally, uh, after the show is run, after all the fish are judged, um, some of the fish go up for auction. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to get amazing show stock, right? And then, you know, the breeders, you can contact the breeders, make sure they're pure or whatever. Um, So I got a lot of fish from that first Mm -hmm. auction. So then, Um, like, I guess, what kind of questions are you asking somebody? Like, let's say they, somebody had the, the double, the double tail. Mm-hmm. that that you that you wanted what were you asking them like hey is this like what kind of breeding stock is it from what's the mm-hmm. mom what's the dad that kind of stuff um typically so i wanted to fix double tail mm-hmm. so um uh, i wanted to ask like um are both of the parents double tail mm-hmm. is one single tail one double tail was one of them carrying double tail but appeared single tail just so that uh, when I fill in the Punnett square, I have an idea of what the mm-hmm. offspring are going to look like. Um, because double tail is associated with some deformities, I ask, like, uh, how what percentage of the spawn had crooked spines? Mm-hmm. It's a very, very common malformation, and some double tails are... Worse, you know, some are worse than others. Any reason why you would see more crooked spines with double tail? Um, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting. I have never done a double tail to double tail cross, uh, which would presumably give you a hundred percent recessive double tail. Um, but I've never done it because everyone always said that that would give you really deformed fish, mm. right? Like a higher percentage of them would be malformed. Uh, so pretty much everybody know that I. No, that does double tail, always tries to have a single tail, uh, carrying double tail parent to help prevent that. Gotcha. Um, and the crown tail would fill that void for your experiment, right? Like that would... Mm, it was hard because crown tail is completely different. Mm. So it's a different locus. They're not, um, they don't interact at all. So you're kind of balancing two... Uh, two balls. Or what, what's I guess your, what's y- a good your term loci- what, what does that mean, locus? Uh, so they're not, uh, they're not linked at all. So uh, some genes uh, interact with each other. Some okay. of them are um, 
inherited more frequently with another gene. That, um, but these are completely separate. So that means that they're inherited completely independently. And uh, when you're choosing your breeding stock, you have to make sure that the fish have both of the ones that you want. Does that make it easier or more difficult for this uh, adventure of yours? Mm, I think it actually made it a little bit more difficult. Uh, a little bit more difficult, yeah. From a sourcing standpoint or from once you get the fish, ac the actual crossing of Oh, yeah, them. like picking from the progeny, okay. like which ones you want to cross. Gotcha. Um, with double tail, it's interesting. Um, so double tail, again, is recessive to single tail. So if a fish even has one... Um, allele or one version of the single tail gene, that one is the one that's going to express and it will override the double tail. Mm. So, uh, but interestingly, if the fish is carrying double tail, the dorsal will be slightly wider than a normal single tail, single tail fish, right? So but, you're yeah. saying if the single tail fish is carrying mm -hmm. the allele for double tail, Looks it will present different. a slightly Phenotype, mm -hmm. right? Like its mm -hmm. phenotype yes. will be a little expressed a little differently. Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, the dorsal instead of having eleven rays or fewer, will have twelve rays oh, or more. Oh, okay. So you can just count okay. it. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, which is cool. <coughs> nice. And and a lot of people <coughs> that work with single tail actually infuse double tail into their lines to make them look more full. Huh. Um, yeah, to give a slightly broader base on the caudal, just to make the fish look better. Um, Interesting. Overall. Yeah, super cool. <laughs> so then, uh, so then I guess, how long from you created your four punnet square to <laughs> when you had your breeding stock? How how long was that duration? Um, it was actually way faster than I thought. Like um, next weekend, I was, no, I was no, 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 in no. business. <laughs> I think I was on. So if you go to my website, I I, I um, which we can do with the power <laughs> sure. of the internet. Oh my goodness! There's my old about me picture. Yeah, with um, the with the bearded dragon. <laughs> yes, with Weldon. So if you click on, uh, if you hover over spawning bettas, yeah. So those are. Um, oh wait, no, those are spawn logs. Sorry, spawn logs. Yep, and then you hover over crown tail, double tail, and then there's a genealogical chart there. This is so. I uh, like if if you're yeah. a if you're a betta nerd and just want to <laughs> go down this rabbit. Oh. So there's every spawn that I did. And uh, you can see by the third generation. You, you can't hold out on this stuff on me. All right. So <laughs> the next thing we talk about, you got it. Randy, just go to the website. <laughs> oh, no. Do I have to have a photo oh, bucket? Oh, no. <gasps> Is that? Oh, that's new. I did not know that, that right. it was broken. Oh, well. Well, at anyway. least it's, it's loaded there. At least. It's loaded. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you can see by the third row, um, I was starting to get there. You can see from that. Um, there's So on the third row in this picture that I'm showing Randy, there is um, some pictures of fish from each of the spawns. And you can see I'm getting there, right? The, um, the single tails have very broad, beautiful dorsals and all that. Um, yep, they're, uh, they're really getting there. And then, stroke of luck, genius of genius, um, I ran into a true crown tail, double tail at uh, Justin's Aquarium nice. in San Francisco. Ocean, ocean Aquarium. Ocean Aquarium, yes. So. Um, anyway, so that sped it up a lot, and I, I was able to uh, breed that male uh, with one of my females that was, you know, recessive for all the traits I wanted and got some really cool uh, double tail crown tails. Um, another thing that's interesting, so at the very top, at the parent progeny, mm -hmm. right, so the female was one of those um, girls that I got at that very first Betta show that I went to. And then the male was um, a male that I imported from Thailand. So um, CBS, California Betta Society, told me how to do that, you know. 
uh, there was this breeder that I really loved his fish, and I was able to import one of his males. Is he still active today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who, so who? Uh, Siam Imbolus. Siam Imbolus, so, Yeah, cool. and um, I bred one of his males to that double-tail female, and you will see my very, very first spawn, uh, top left, yep, that poor female... <laughs> ended up being a double tail so that crown tail male was actually carrying recessively the double tail trait and when I emailed Siam Imbolus about it he said that there had been no double tail in his spawns for at least six generations so recessive traits can be carried for a long long time before they uh, express themselves by breeding it to another recessive um, animal so silly question so will is there a hard and fast, like, oh, yeah, 10th generation recessive gene goes away, like completely if it hasn't expressed no. itself, or is it just built into that? It's just numbers. It's okay. a frequency, right? Okay. It's just uh, how often it gets carried along mm. quietly from um, wow. generation to generation. That happened again with um, the red and yellow placots that I was working with. So placots are the short fin bettas. Mm-hmm. And um, I got, I think it was a female from uh, Siegbert Elig, who's a very, very... Um, Famous in the Veda world. He's awesome. Uh, very, very awesome. Um, Siegbert, and G- Siegbert and Judy Illig. Sorry. Nice. Um, anyway, so I got a female, a red female from him, bred it to a yellow male. And um, there should not have been any yellows in that spawn at all because Siegbert said there's no yellow in these fish. You know, it's, it hasn't been there for six generations. In again. his reds. In his reds. Mm. Yeah, there hasn't been yellow in my line for six generations. And then I got yellow fish. <laughs> so he was carrying yellow at some point. It huh. got infused in. And then um, Sigrid actually like went back into his records, and it was six generations ago that he had used a yellow fish. So Oh, wow. Um, so is, yeah. is he an overseas breeder as well? Like oh, no. He's, uh, oh, he's, he's here. here. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I was going to say, because if those guys over in like Thailand or Vietnam or wherever they're doing most of the breeding, like if they're actually keeping that detailed records mm-hmm. at, the, at yeah. the scale that they operate, that's kind of mind boggling. That's yeah? why I like uh, Siam Imbolus. That's why I wanted fish from him, especially mm. um, because he, if you look at his fish, um, very, very much attention to detail. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then um, Siegbert is a. Uh, really, really big in um, the IBC, the International Beta Congress. Siamimbolus.com. If I remember, yeah. I will link this in the show <laughs> notes. Yeah. So I got, yep, some is of he, my... Is he leading with the uh, Thai flag beta? <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, very, um, very, very popular colors. But yeah, so all of my parent stock came from uh, those three uh, breeders. So uh, Siamimbolus, Siegbert and Judy Illig, and, um, oh, goodness... Oh, no. I knew this was going to happen. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I can't remember the third breeder. Oh, my goodness. Somebody's going to, the, the third breeder is going to email you and be like, I, know. I heard it on this backwater podcast. I'm sad now. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm joking. I'll have to, I'll send it to you you're later. Okay. No, you're fine. You're yeah. fine. Um, <laughs> that's cool. Uh, so, yeah. Siam Imbolus. Yeah. I'm guessing he probably has more stuff just listed on Aquabiz. Yeah, I stayed up till 3 a.m. to mm. um, get his fish. I, I specifically wanted a double tail from him, um, and I stayed up uh, until he refreshed his uh, inventory. <sighs> That's awesome. So yeah. the, I feel like was finding the female that you wanted the bigger challenge? Because I guess from a, a big box or a retail store, 
obviously mm-hmm. the predominant selection is going to be male. And mm-hmm. then when you do occasionally see females, I feel like they're more like placati. It's kind hard. Of. Uh, a lot of... Um, this is kind of something I don't like about um, the hobbies sometimes. Are they calling? Uh, no, no, no. They just don't give out nice females sometimes. Oh. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want no, to. No, it happens. It happens. It happens, yeah. right? It's like uh, if you really, really like your line, then you protect the females, yeah. right? You don't give out the females uh, because they're 50% of the genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just don't. So, yeah. but that's why uh, I love going to shows because usually there's lots of female bettas mm-hmm. from really great breeders yeah. that are available. Well, and they're in those breeders, I would imagine their their percept or their their perception on the industry and the hobby is a little bit different than oh, yes. somebody that's just doing this like straight up like mm-hmm. this is how I make my money, you yeah. know. And having this yeah. ultra unique strain is you know kind of. You know, they're a competitive advantage, if you will. Exactly. Okay. You you want to sequester them and prevent those genetics from getting out too sequester. fast. Sequester. I need to use sequester <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah. We're getting all legal now. We're going to sequester. <laughs> Good times. Uh, that's awesome. So let's see here. I want to walk through this. So uh, top mm-hmm. left, that is the male? That's the f- that's a picture of the brother oh, from okay. the female that I used. Yes. Picture of the brother from the... Okay. But the, the two <laughs> I didn't have a picture of the female, so I oh, used a picture of the male. Okay. This was way back in the beginning. Um, gosh, photo- taking photographs of fish is so hard. Like, like I got good at f- taking pictures of bettas just to do these pedigree mm-hmm. charts because, uh, you know, and I had a potato of a phone. Like, <laughs> I, ha- I had to buy a DSLR for this dang hobby, <laughs> you yeah. know, to actually well, record you, my pedigree chart. You, well, you buy, you buy the camera, and then it's like, oh, I need a macro lens, too? <laughs> what? I just can't use the lens that came with oh this expensive gosh. camera? Yeah. Well, I actually ended up using a, a prime lens, like okay. a fixed lens, and got good at just taking them quickly. Anyway, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> How I got into photography because of fish. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I I'm did not you. anticipate I'm, no, no, I'm, that. No, I, I think <laughs> I'm on that same trajectory where it's I got into the I got into photography because of fish. Yeah. And then it's naturally then just kind of went for my new love of birds. Or I've always kind of liked oh, birds. Yeah, but yeah. now like having the 200 to 600 Sony, mm-hmm. you know, lens and just trying to go out as much as I can and, and, photo- and uh, take pictures. And I'm pretty lucky that in our backyard, um, like right on our deck, we'll get um, downy woodpeckers, peleated oh, woodpeckers. Oh, I miss the um, peleateds, yeah. I think we get hairy woodpeckers as well. Uh-huh. We get juncos, nuthatch, red be- red-breasted nuthatches, mm-hmm. um, uh, gray and... Uh, chestnut-backed uh, chickadees. Mm, oh my um, goodness, so cute! We get like we get so many year-round visitors, and mm-hmm. it's it like uh, spotted towies. Like I love it, and so yeah. busting out the camera and like just taking those six like six hundred millimeters on a um, on an APC sensor camera. So I'm hitting oh them at like nine hundred millimeter from like ten feet away. It's just <laughs> I'm getting the bird of the entire shot. It's awesome. <laughs> That's so, great. I'm, I'm, really... I f- I'm like worried. I, I I felt like I was on that trajectory for a while, like because I started bird watching too after having a nice camera awesome. and i have not gotten like I a really to, good telephoto lens yet i and used to drive by like those days <laughs> when you're driving out somewhere um you it's like early in the morning and you see inevitably it's like a subaru station wagon mm-hmm. and that person's like walking out with their tripod to go film birds or something and you're yeah. like 
what is this nerd doing? Like, what is this? What is this old nerd doing going out? And now I'm like, <laughs> and now it's you. Let's go. Like, let's go do this. I'll, I'll hang out with you, whatever your name is, in your Subaru station wagon. Let's go film some birds. This yeah. is awesome. But oh my gosh, yeah. I wonder. I now I'm very curious, like how similar of a trajectory that is for all fish hobbyists, right? Like you start keeping the fish, and then you start you know getting more into the genetics maybe or breeding and then you start photographing well, them and then you, now you're into birds are you, are you familiar with greg steves who i who i interviewed mm-hmm. on the podcast so yeah. he and i had an interesting conversation about it and i think and also jim valenzuela and i think mm-hmm. what birding is is mm-hmm. it's fish keeping but without the upkeep so oh, yeah you know you get this like you get this like pokemon thrill <laughs> of getting your lifer right so the first time you see yeah. a bird um, you get to photograph it, so you get to play with the gadget still. Yeah. Um, you get to go outside and enjoy nature, mm-hmm. but you don't ha- you don't have to bring them home and try to breed mm-hmm. them and feed them and tank yeah. maintenance and all that stuff. And I think there's a certain point where you know you have so many tanks, you've got so many things going on that you know you run the risk of burnout, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like and it, that definitely yes. And I'm not saying Jim or, or yeah. Greg necessarily burnt out, but mm-hmm. you know doing it for 20, 30 years, and then all of a sudden discovering this whole other side of nature, you know, the avian side of things, and you're just like, man, this is mm-hmm. this is awesome, you know? Yeah, and I think, yeah. it, it, you know, maybe there's a, a good striking balance of, you know, that spring, summertime, late fall activity, you do your birding, but then you still have your tanks for the wintertime when the weather's crappy, uh-huh. um, and you can still enjoy, you know, being indoors, taking care of your, of your fish, your breeding projects, but just not on like a 200 tank kind of scale, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And so. I, I mean, even personally, I'm wondering, do I, do I take some of these 10 gallon grow out tanks and just convert some of those into like a 40 breeder, you know, mm-hmm. take, mm-hmm. take four 10 gallons and just turn it into a 40 breeder and, mm-hmm. you know, play with one species in that and let it do its thing or I don't know. Yeah. For me, I definitely had to downsize because my operation like exploded, right? I was breeding everything. I was doing these breeding, these genetic projects. I was, um, breeding killifish, pygmy sunfish, all those things. And then um, and then I got into teaching. And teaching is like soul-sucking <laughs> for the first three. I love teaching. Okay, don't get me wrong. It's soul-sucking until you retire. No, like going through the credential program and the ed TPA for any teachers listening was horrible. <laughs> and I, I just had to like, I had to stop, you know. And um, so I did scale back quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, to make it something that was manageable for me, you yeah. know, because like when you have th- that many fry, mm-hmm. right, you can't take a break, right? Yeah. And then no, if, you, totally. if you take a break too long, right, I, I couldn't even take care of myself, you know, <laughs> I gained 30 pounds. It was horrible. Um, anyway, no, I, I'm, I digress. I, no, I'm, I'm totally like if it wasn't for my fish room having an auto water change system oh, and me goodness, running that on yeah. the heavy side yeah, with two young boys you know a 19 month mm-hmm. old and a four-year-old oh my goodness and then you know with with a, a fairly active career of aquarium co-op mm-hmm. um i don't think i'd be able to have anything beyond you know mm-hmm. a, a couple uh, like a display tank and then a couple mm-hmm. of tanks to play around with if i was actually having to do like manual water changes especially yeah. with how heavy-handed i am when it comes to feeding <laughs> and i'm just like bah, bah. <laughs> and not even me when i let my boys into the fish room and they're yeah. helping me out they're like, just like the chucking young, it into the, the well, tank. Well, the, the four-year-old now, he knows, like, little pinch, <laughs> medium pinch, big pinch, yeah, right? And so yeah. we can, you know, I tell him, and he, he does a great job. But yeah. the, the the 19-month-old man, he just goes, like, he just... The big baby the, fist. The fist, like that. With the fist in there. And I'm like, Jonah, after, like, shake the pellets <laughs> off of his hand. 
Aw, killed uh, with kindness. Yeah, so no, cute. it's so it's so awesome though. But yeah, th- their exposure to the hobby is only the fun stuff. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not gonna be like, now you need to scrub my tanks because yeah. then that's just gonna totally ruin it for them. Yeah, so exactly, exactly. I'm trying to strike that balance of I want you guys to be exposed to it, mm-hmm. and uh, but not have them, uh, you know, not not ruin it for them by the laborious side of things. Unless you know, unless at some point when they're older, they they want to volunteer for a, a vacuuming or whatnot. But uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's actually an after-dinner treat. It's like, Aww. hey, hey, Johnny, do you want to go to the fish room? And he gets yeah. all excited, and like his body convulses, and we go down to the fish room and feed. And oh, that's so know. cute. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, I can't, um, <laughs> I can't take a day off of feeding because of the the brine shrimp hatching. Mm-hmm. You know, every yeah. day, every day hatching out brine shrimp. Like, okay, well, if you skip this day, that brine shrimp is gonna die. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's gonna. You know, it's already gone 48 hours is, is, is my brine shrimp cycle. So I run two yeah. hatchers. And so every day I hatch mm-hmm. and then, you know, it sits for a day and then I hatch it the next day um, with those two running. And so if I miss a day, I might be pushing it with what I should have harvested out yesterday. And yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you, yeah. You, put, you don't want to push the baby brine shrimp hatch too far. So mm-hmm. That's why I like the flexibility of the dishes. The little like dish the is little, pretty cool, yeah. And I amazing. ran that, yeah. We don't, we don't <laughs> sell that thing. Um, I've actually reached out to try to get it so that that's something that we could sell because it's so convenient. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got a fish room, you're going to have to run five of them. I've, yeah, I've, I mean, tried, I've tried it. I've mm-hmm. run up to three, but you get... If you do it right, you get zero eggs. The brine mm-hmm. shrimp basically go through this little maze to mm-hmm. reach the center where the light's going. And you've got that sweet little cup. You just lift <laughs> it up and you get maybe, I don't know, like a couple hundred brine shrimp in there and just mm-hmm. da, 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 just dab it yeah. in and put it back in. And the brine shrimp will refill itself. And, you know, I, I think I've let it go like probably two or three days. Oh, me too. Yeah, you, you can you just, really stretch yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah. I, I always add like a little bit more brine shrimp egg on the, the second day, and then you get an even better hatch. Oh, heresy. Look at yeah. you. It's <laughs> dirty water. What are you doing oh, to you, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> what doesn't kill them makes them stronger. It's okay. Hey, there's, some, there's heated there's heated brine shrimp conversations. I, know. I, I um I did my first ever presentation to the uh, Long Island Killifish Association. And, yeah. by, and by presentation... Oh, Killy. Fish. Yeah, oh my gosh! Fish. Yeah, it was just it was just Randy like doing a Zoom with uh you know with the guys from the club and just kind of yeah, showing yeah. them around my fish room and letting them ask questions and whatnot and I mean the irony there is that every single one of those guys had infinite more experience than me and <laughs> yeah. they're like yeah we you know we've we've you had just a talking well, point we've at had, that point they're like we've had too many good we've had too many big names recently oh. let's 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 lower the bar a little bit you know we don't want to keep this high street going but uh they, uh-huh. they they were all super awesome and you know I think everybody walked away with maybe like a tip or two from me and I I definitely got some good advice from them on some stuff uh-huh. um but you know one of them at some point was asking do i you know how do i hatch my brine shrimp and so i showed them my little setup and everything and kind of talked through it a little bit and they're like oh do you do you reuse their water your water and i'm like oh no i don't but it like i just and they even said it, that was like a contentious point in their club on <laughs> and they like they threw somebody on the bus like oh oh harry's a cheapo and he always reuses his water or something <laughs> like that and i'm like no i just you know, I just throw it in the in the tanks, and you know, sometimes I rinse. Well, I don't rinse, but sometimes it, it just drains naturally through the mm-hmm. sieve. Yeah. And then sometimes I'll I'll use a siphon and I'll get some of the 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 water. Yeah. Um, now I wouldn't I wouldn't take you know brine shrimp water with brine shrimp in it and squirt it into like a two gallon. Mm-hmm. I would probably let that fully sieve out. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But like a twenty high with some quarry, yeah, I'll just, just uh, you yeah, know shoot that in, in there. Um, <laughs> but that was funny though that like that was a divisive you know thing in their club and also. Uh, water versus uh, peat moss incubation. Oh was goodness! Another divisive yes. point, mm-hmm. and uh, I think another another <laughs> equally one. one to to um, methylene blue or not mm. <laughs> to methylene to to hit mm-hmm. your eggs with some type of uh, antifungal yeah yeah uh, yeah agent. and it's like oh man there's some landmines right there. <laughs> 
It's really yeah. funny. And and part of me wonders, like, how much of it is ritual and how much of it is, like, actually been tested, mm -hmm. you know? Like, yeah. um, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's so hard. Like, if, if somebody's got 30, 40 years of experience doing something, mm -hmm. and even if it's, like, crusty set in their ways, it's like, man, if that works for you, though. It's, it's true, just, yeah. It's, there's definitely know. a long-term component there. Well, but have you really, you know, people say tried and true. Mm -hmm. Well, it's true, but have you really tried it? Trust, like, but, did, trust but verify. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you really like you know divide a spawn in two and or divide yeah. the eggs in two and meth blue one and not the other? So and, what, yeah. what what I am doing to try to, to to do a little bit of a test in my fish room is I've got uh, Scleromastix barbatus, so the mm -hmm. the um, the barbatus cori, mm -hmm. and I got a group of twelve of them, and I divided them into two twenty highs, so six and six. Okay. And then one tank has a, a substrate layer of like a number three smaller size gravel, uh -huh. and then the other one has sand. Uh -huh. But they both have the same sword in the back. They've got the same Java moss. They've got the same you know filters, all that stuff. And it's just you know by chance will one of those produce more more prodigiously than the other one like yeah who, who, you oh know, cool who knows just to see because you know there is mm -hmm. kind of this thing about quarries and substrate yeah and, yeah you know um so i don't know maybe you know if it ends up being like well in my experience the ones on the fine sand produce it like five times the rate as the ones on the the pebbles uh -huh. then that's something but to be fair like they haven't spawned yet for me so yeah at and this I, point i'll take i anything. love experiments like that at home yeah. you know i love doing stuff like that um, so, I think that reminds, sorry, I just, could I, Oh no, no, no. Uh, I remember, um, just, I was just thinking about some of the at home experiments I was doing and, uh, I met Dr. Gene Lucas. He's like, he's like the dude that started international beta Congress nice. and he was a, a beta geneticist and he got really excited about my crown tail double tail project and all the things I was doing. And then he asked me, he was like, did you sit and count every one of the fish that came out of your spawn and categorize them. And I was like, sit and count. I do that at work. I don't want to do it at home. <laughs> you know, like that's, oh, a, that's a lab thing. And at the time, I was like doing my PhD and also doing the, um, you know, the thing at mm -hmm. home. <laughs> and trying to have some type of a social life. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. I didn't want to sit and count all of my betas and, you know, that's, that's tabulate. Just, you just crowdsource your friends like, hey, guys, I got this great new game. It's a super awesome board game that you just come over. <laughs> I'll have pizza. Uh -huh. We'll have a good time. That's true, yeah. I mean, I did it for the <laughs> smaller spawns, but for 200, 300 fish, I just, yeah. I didn't want to sit and like scoop them yeah. into different tanks. So I will, I do want to, and one, I already, I, I say this with a lot of people, but for sure, like, we just need to have like a recurring, like Randy and Gian, just, you know, <laughs> you let me be selfish and just record you talking to me and teaching <laughs> me about stuff. But uh, I would love to have you on to, to talk more about just so much of this experience that you have, but of I'm going to, I'm going to be selfish yeah. and divert it to uh, <laughs> Randy's current beta breeding attempts, right? So uh -huh. I think I sent you some pictures via Facebook messenger, but let's pull it up on the, uh, forum.aquariumcoop.com for those of you not members of this <laughs> wonderful forum. Are you a member of this forum, Jeanne? I think I signed up maybe. Oh, hey, that's a step. That's, I, no. don't, I don't think I've been checking it. It's all, no, no. Hey, you're signed up. That's <laughs> Maybe I'm that's signed up. <laughs> maybe if you check, I'm not there. I don't know. All right, so I'm going to go I remember to, seeing it, though, and I was like, oh, that looks interesting. There, I, yeah. I love this because so many people that would never, you know, create a YouTube channel, mm -hmm. right? Because right yeah, now, like... Forums are the best. I, I miss that. It's so, yeah. so personality-centric right now that, oh, you mm -hmm. don't have a channel, you don't have a page, like, nobody's really going to really hear about you. Uh-huh. Um, um, and this, like the, the forums give people an opportunity to everybody be on the same 
Mm -hmm. Same platform, you know, sharing if they want to share or not. And it's going to get mm -hmm. relatively the same amount of views because you post something, it's going to go to the top. Mm -hmm. right? And People it's saved, look at right? It, right? It's saved it's for saved. posterity. Like everyone can look at the thread and learn from it. All right. So Randy's fish room. Let's see here. I do need to learn how to follow content better. Right I will <laughs> say that. And when I, even when I think that, I'm like, man, I'm getting old. Like technology is hurting my brain these days. No. All right. So this is my fish room thread with, Pictures of, you know, ponds and getting some fish in. Let's see here. Part of my auto water chain. Somebody had some questions. Yeah, I did the, I now have a Wi-Fi uh, sprinkler system, a water, oh water sprinkler system. So I can kick off water changes from the comfort of my couch. Wow. <laughs> with my phone. It's hilarious. That's awesome. But so um, be warned if you want to do this, people, that these things are so smart that they're programmed to be in sync with your local weather. So when it's raining, they have like a bypass feature that won't huh. kick off. Oh no! And that's not good. You, if you want to water room. change yes. during a so the you, you have the to weather. go like seventeen menus <laughs> deep to turn that off, right? So I mean, kudos huh, for it being because this is the old one, the old Rainbird, the 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 manual one. Yeah. And then this is the new Beehive, you know, that's cool. Wi-Fi controlled um, thing, which so far has been pretty awesome. So yeah, you want to water change when it's raining. That's when some, they want to spawn. There's some of my angels. Laying some eggs. <laughs> I got some discus laying some eggs. Um, yeah, discus are still eluding me on the successful being able to actually get the fry out of the tank before the parents eat them. Um, yeah, we're making wonderful, wonderful audio content, me doing this. <laughs> me and my hokey overflow. So this is when this is when you have a bunch of PVC lying around, but you don't have the right parts. Oh, my you goodness. Just, you just Frankenstein. And so this should have been one piece uh -huh. uh, from... From the overflow on the tank to basically this little blue barb guy to the to the uh, PVC pipe lead, well, the uh, clear tubing leading to the main drain. Uh -huh. um, so I didn't have the one proper ninety degree elbow, so I had to take like four different pieces to make it work. Oh my goodness! Because I wasn't making a trip at Home Depot <laughs> at nine thirty at night. I, I've done some of that stuff too. <laughs> it's like, uh. all right, page two. So basically, what I'm doing also is yeah, and there's some. That tank sprung a leak, so I had to move those. Hey, there's my reflection of me in flip-flops. All right, <laughs> good job. So, yeah, here is the uh, – now let's see if Aww. I can breed some bettas. Awesome. I don't know if I sent you these pictures, but this is the setup I have. Mm -hmm. There's my female. Um, here's my black-red placati <laughs> kind of male. And so yeah. I've got the catapa leaf. I've got the piece of water lettuce, the mm – -hmm. Uh, for line of sight blocking, I just put one of our medium sponge filters right in the center. Mm -hmm. um, let them kind of get familiar with each other for a day and yep. then introduce the female. Uh, and then I even linked Yay. Dean and Corey's video about them talking about that setup. Uh -huh. um, and I've done that now three times. The most recent time, it seemed like the male made the best bubble nest. And I was mm -hmm. pretty excited about that, but no luck so far. So interesting. What, what are your thoughts? And then here's here's where I introduced the piece of styrofoam. So uh -huh. here's that real oh, nice. Oh, there's a nice. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, I think I got some success. So then I moved the female out. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, come to find out I, they, they didn't actually spawn. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So what do you what, what are your what are your thoughts? Just keep keep going with the same formula. Hmm. OK. So the thing with breeding bettas, right, is they're all different. And I like to think of it as like having a toolbox of different tricks and tips to try mm -hmm. and troubleshoot what's happening. So um, how is the female's condition going into this tank? She looks pretty fat and okay. healthy. She's by herself in a 10-gallon tank. Mm -hmm. Does she do her ovaries pop? Like, does she look busty? 
Like she, I mean, <laughs> the, the be- is the belly swollen? Like, does she yeah, look a little yeah. gravid? Yeah, yeah. And then, okay. like, I feel like you can even see that little bit of like the egg. Okay. Yeah, the ovipositor, the like ovip- sticking out a little bit. Okay, that's good. Which almost sounds like a made-up like mechanical <laughs> name. I know. The ovipositor. I know. Um, let's see. Uh, so I like to let the fish. Uh, this is gonna sound strange. I like to let them. Uh, kind of go on dates <laughs> like mm-hmm. i'll put them next to each other in their own individual tanks but i'll put like a card in between them mm-hmm. and then i will remove the card and let them flare at each other for 10 15 minutes morning and night just to like get used to each other and then that will also stimulate egg production but it sounds like the female's fine on that front but just to get them ready for it mm-hmm. So then when you do introduce them into this tub, they're, um, you know, they're well-acquainted live food. Do they um, have live food? Frozen. Frozen bloodworms. Okay. I mean, you can spawn with frozen as well. Um, well, okay. So let's, uh, what live food would you recommend? Uh, I love white worms. So mm. they're nice and fatty. You don't want to feed them those all the time. Mm-hmm. But before breeding and after breeding is wonderful because the fat, like, I feel like it gives them... I've noticed that there's way more eggs and that they tend to spawn much faster if they've been eating that fatty food. And would the white worms be the ones where you start with the culture and put them in like the potato mix? Yeah, I I culture them in soil. Okay. And um, just very easy. I feed them dog food or cat food. Uh, There's lots of different ways to culture white worms. Uh, But I think they're cleaner than black worms. Mm Again, it depends on the source. Like if you're getting it from the co-op, they're fine. <laughs> I don't think we ever sell. We oh, don't, you don't yeah, wear we them. Don't do you don't cultures. do them anymore. No. Oh wow, that was a long time ago. Then <laughs> showing my age again. <laughs> but um, yeah, let's see. Yeah, white worms are nice and clean, nice and fatty. Mm-hmm. And then because um, I find that betta, adult bettas don't really care for baby brine shrimp. Mm-hmm. Like I've squirted it in there, and they're like, meh, what eh, is this? Yeah, they're not like killifish right. that are gonna go after it. Um, but yeah, the white worms are really, really nice to condition for breeding. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you want to start looking for how they interact. So um, the female will kind of go, when she sees the male through the barrier, she'll like, if she's receptive, she'll tilt down at a 45 degree angle and have the white barring and just kind of be more submissive. She'll flare occasionally and then do that. Where, the would, male, the, where would the white barring be? Just on the side of her on body? On the side of the body if okay. they're dark bodied. If they're light bodied, then you can't see them. Okay. But, um, I've had bettas spawn without doing that submissive display too. I've just put them together and then they just start spawning as well. Um, you can try, speaking of rain, you can try and do it just as it starts to rain, like mm-hmm. as a front comes in. Now it's kind of hard because it's raining all the time. Yeah, it's just always raining. <laughs> <laughs> but like when a front comes in is often when they mm-hmm. are stimulated to spawn. Um, do you cover it? Is it light? How much light is in there? This is uncovered, basically getting uh, a full like LED three feet above. Mm, okay, that, you might want to cover it. Okay. Uh, a lot of Thai breeders do this too. Just co- put them in darkness, complete okay. darkness. Uh, I used to do that too. I mean, I've spawned them in everything from 10 gallons to 5 gallons to styrofoam tubs, you know, like Mm -hmm. uh, you can, as long as there's water. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would cover it so that um, there's even less distraction from the light. Cool. Um, Try that. Let's see. What else can you try? How long did you leave them together? Um, Basically, I'd say like 24 hours. Oh, you can leave them longer. Oh, longer? Yeah. Okay. Uh, So the fastest I've ever had betta spawn was less than 
30 minutes. So <laughs> that I w- was fun. I <laughs> will say that what I did and what it was based on was um, watching them initially interact, like, okay, yeah. everything's okay. They're not necessarily killing each other. And then mm-hmm. I would leave the fish room. And then when I would come back the next day, the female was definitely like off on her own. Yeah, she'll be off. Yeah. And the male mm-hmm. was doing his own thing. And I'm like, maybe that's successful. So then at that point I pulled the female, but yeah. So I would, um, yeah, you, they and will. Get, and then I get my head down there super close, like trying to look <laughs> in the bubble nest. Like, is there, yeah. are there, are there eggs in there? <laughs> I'm like, ah, uh, I can't. Oh man, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, you should, the longest it's ever taken was 14 days. Mm. So as long as they're not killing each other, as long as the female's still gravid, as long as the male is still maintaining a bubble nest, there's still a chance. Okay. Uh, and temperature, what temperature is it? Uh, fish room is about 76, so that's on oh. the bottom rack. That's going to be about 74. Ooh, bump it up. That's bump probably okay. the mi- – that should have been the first question I asked you. Where's the uh, flow chart? Where's the flow chart, <laughs> Jeanne, of the- you're a new better breeder. <laughs> Here's the flow chart. Do you have a flow chart on your website? That, that is a great idea oh, that I've that. never thought of before. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Awesome. Yeah. Maybe he'll make one and like contribute. But um, yeah, 80 degrees or, or warmer. 80 degrees. I'm such a noob. Yeah. All right, 80 no, degrees. No, you're not a noob. Yeah, 80 degrees. I would put it right at 80 is good. Uh, some people even bump it a little higher, 82 degrees. Um, but that will help. So Should I? <laughs> do I then need to have their home tanks also at 80 degrees? Yeah, if not to maintain. Like pet bettas okay. can go down to room temp. They'll, their metabolism will be slower. You need to feed them less. Yeah. But bettas really like being at 80 degrees. The, um, the fish room is definitely like 76 to 78 degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could put like a little um, under tank heating pad or, you know, however you safely heat mm-hmm. your tanks to 80, uh, 80, 82. Mm-hmm. And I bet you'll see a much different response. Just, so. in, just in this um, To setup. condition them. Or even the conditioning. Yeah, okay. I would... Put them at 80, 82 for two weeks. Okay. And then put them back in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bet that'll be, make a big difference. So w- one of the things I could do with the way that my, my fish room is set up, uh, having all the gladiator racks, like very much like the racks we have out there in the warehouse, um, three tiers of aquariums with 10 gallons, you know, kind of lengthwise. Mm-hmm. I could um, turn off the auto water change for one of those tanks, mm-hmm. um, reduce the water level, and then maybe use those as the as the the home tanks, I guess, mm-hmm. and then and not move them to a separate small container like this. Like, what are your what are your thoughts? Because I guess the reason they're not, I'm doing the bin as opposed to a, an aquarium is that all of my tanks are on auto water change. Got it. Yeah. Um, I could turn the auto water change off, but I just felt like having a smaller container is probably better for this. Is yeah, that... the, uh, they. I definitely find they spawn faster in smaller containers. Okay. Um, my go-to was a 10-gallon, half-filled 10-gallon, because I was lazy and didn't want to move the fry. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, because then you could just fill it up and uh-huh. they can stay in there forever. But they spawn much faster in smaller containers. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to move the fry mm-hmm. sooner. Yep. So, um, so, I've yeah. got, I've got, so I've got two really good takeaways from this. The first is <laughs> heat their containers to mm-hmm. their tanks to 80 to 82 degrees for conditioning. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right? And then also heat have this be at the same mm-hmm. temperature and you want the fry to be 80 too mm-hmm. yeah while they're growing so. and then also cover this to give mm-hmm. them a little darkness or should i yeah. try it with just a little privacy yeah. okay i mean uh, i'm sure this could be one of those true but not tried things right uh, i find that they typically would go faster covered and a lot of tie breeders cover them um, hey, if the breeders are doing it, yeah, there's yeah. got to be something to it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that could also just be a physical barrier to not mm-hmm. jump out of the tub. Yeah. So, um, 
But yeah, I, I think she, she did actually faster. jump out of her little container once mm-hmm. into there. I was like, ah, I think it might have been the first time. I'm like, I didn't know you guys were ready. And then oh, she yeah. had jumped out and luckily not They're too incredible. far. Incredible. They can, yeah. I swear they can fly. Like I had a betta fight its way through two layers of plastic wrap to die on the floor. Like I didn't know that was possible. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that betta was really determined. So betta versus killifish on jumping. Who do you think? Oh, geez. Um, the big wild bettas, I think they could give killifish a run for their yeah. money. But the big killifish, um, I, I used to have a blue galeris. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just as a pet, I oh, didn't breed is. blue galeris. Um, but I was like, it was one of those 16 tall tanks. And mm-hmm. I hate tall tanks because i'm really short and i can't reach the bottom and so i'm like on my tippy toes trying to clean his tank and then he i must have been like a foot and a half right between my face and the top of the water he got spooked and like leapt up and smacked me in the face like that, really hard that's a good like three three and a half inches of yeah fish. that's a yeah. big fish just <laughs> So, um, yeah, I think the killifish still win, but the bettas do give them a run for their money. Don't worry. I had a fish uh, jump out of the water and whack me while we were sailing in uh, Peru. Oh, my so. gosh. And that, yeah. like your like your story of uh, you falling at the at the betta meeting, yeah. is also on video. So oh. I think I think Jimmy even threw, like, a graphic in there and some sounds and whatnot. It's That's like, oh, awesome. man. Well, and the funny thing about that is I was I was trying to play a prank. So, like, we're, we're all moving the seine net towards uh-huh. the beach. And then, you know, typical goofball randy i'm like ah piranha like i said piranha in spanish or something uh-huh. and uh you know i got a laugh and then all of a sudden a real fish flies <laughs> out of where we're saying and i think it hits me i'm pretty it might i think it did hit me oh, and it's like goodness. ah and then Corey had caught it all on video because he was up on the boat on like the second yeah. level filming down it's like oh man that's karma for you <laughs> yeah yeah that happens that happens and that was the same that was the same spot where um, I had the GoPro on my head on that little like elastic head rig. Mm-hmm. I jump in the water, and sure enough, what happens when you do that with a GoPro? It fell. Mm-hmm. So oh we're talking like ten feet down, murky brown water, mm-hmm. and I just had I was quick enough because I didn't drift far enough. Like the moment I realized it was gone, went straight down and just a mm-hmm. couple pats around, I found it. Oh my god! Which like who? <laughs> that is lucky. I mean, I'm just like this GoPro's gone. Like no way. And sure enough, like I was able to to get it. My wife would have killed me if I lost it. <laughs> I would not be getting a second GoPro if uh, Randy lost his in Peru. <laughs> That's for certain. That's um, awesome. All right, so I've got two really really good takeaways on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, hopefully they uh, spawn. And then um, have they spawned before? Sorry, that's another question. No, no, they have okay. not. Yeah, They're this both, is. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. this is, and this is one of those like one and done for me. Like, I just mm-hmm. want to breed the bettas one time, <laughs> just to say that I've done it, and yeah. then figure out how I'm gonna get rid of two hundred bettas. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Once they do spawn. Because um, um, sometimes the males, so we have this term in the betta community, like sometimes males are TSTB, uh, too stupid to breed. <laughs> sometimes. TSTB, um, okay. Yeah, sometimes. I thought it was gonna be technical, but all right, <laughs> no. TSTB. And. Um, they just i've seen males mess up in ev- at every level mm-hmm. of of breeding and fry rearing i've got, seen some crazy things but um yeah if they've never spawned before he might just not know how mm-hmm. and might not, might take a couple of tries yeah and that's something that i'm totally cool <laughs> with it's just i want to make sure that i'm at least setting mm-hmm. them up which it sounds like i'm not doing my part as the aquarist to actually yeah. give them the proper um, temperature and maybe lighting setup that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, those are, those are really good. Cause I, I really want to be able to share like some successful yeah. pictures of like, Hey guys, 
the 17th time was the charm. And look. No, it took me so long. Like, and even after getting the, the, them going, like the hardest part yeah. too was rearing the fry and for it, me. Yeah. And it's great <laughs> when it's like you hear about how easy it is. It's like, <laughs> well, well, yeah, once you figure it out. <laughs> I had one male that was so aggressive, like mm -hmm. beat up all the females I threw in. And then um, I borrowed a, uh, a female that was very good at breeding from someone in the club. And I loved it. I put them in and he started being way too aggressive like he normally was, fourth attempt. She beat the crap out of him. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, buddy, this is oh, not going to work. This is not how you breed. Oh, man. <laughs> it's like, you got to buy me some, you got to buy me some bug bites. Yeah. Take me out on a little tannin water stroll. Yeah, and it fixed him. He was the best breeder after that. So, <laughs> so looking at this final setup, though, styrofoam cup. Uh, linocyte block, water mm -hmm. lettuce, catapa leaf, water yeah. zone, little tannin. Do you, you think could, I'm doing okay? You could stuff it with more if you want. Like, put as much of that, of those plants in as you want. Like, okay. Yeah. And then I, just I, I like to have like half crowded, half mm -hmm. uncrowded. Mm -hmm. um, and then have the bubble nest, like kind of nudge it so that it's somewhere where the bottom is clear and you can see them. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. Yeah. That looks good. This, uh, this experience makes me a little sad that um, I had a. Uh, Wallstad slash dirted slash non-filtered planted tank in my kitchen. It was a little 10-gallon. It's the, the Shrimp King Denelay tank, all mm -hmm. glass sides, wide bottom. Um, and I had, you know, super chock full of plants, floating plants, water lettuce, and I had three sparkling garamis in there. Mm -hmm. And I actually did. They spawned many, many times. Oh, wow. When I wasn't hatching, like, baby brine shrimp or, like, paramecium mm -hmm. or, like, any of the small uh, small foods. Uh, but I did actually have, like, two that successfully made it to, uh, to adulthood, and that was, that oh, was pretty wow. cool. But, like... You know, kind of knowing that I did that and had a group that was, you know, at least boy, girl that were willing to get it on, like not really <laughs> like, you know, giving it a good effort and then yeah. logging, logging it for bat points and all that fun stuff where it's like, ah, there's like 10 points I could have had yeah, in the bat yeah. program. That would have, because I think right now I'm going to be intermediate breeder. And mm -hmm. then uh, I think I'm like 10 points away from going up to the uh, advanced breeder. Ooh, very nice. But yeah, because uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got Dean in my sight because Corey, always, you know, he's, he, he's a master breeder in our club, right? Yeah, because yeah, Because of the yeah. bat points. And I can't wait until I'm like, hey, Dean, guess what? <laughs> I too have the title of master breeder. I know this pedestal got to get a little wider. <laughs> <laughs> I, it doesn't matter that I, that I use the loophole of uh, 17 varieties of guppies to get, no. Oh which, my goodness. I'm, no, I'm not. Gonna I'm not, I'm not doing that. You can go and see my submissions. And they're not, they're not like that, but. Um, no, it's just, it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Just to do it the one time. Cause I think like, it's just so like quintessential, like breeding mm -hmm. of bettas. Yeah. Like you gotta yeah. do it. You gotta do it. So. Yeah. I mean, I, it's also why I like wild bettas cause they are so much easier than this. They're, <laughs> I mean, they can be at normal room temperature. Mm -hmm. They like, a lot of them are mouth brooders. Mm -hmm. The females initiate spawning. You just pull out the male and, and then they have the fry and mm -hmm. you put them back in and then they do it again. Like which is, which is so kind of nice. a segue into, um, <laughs> I might be getting some of your better rubras. You yes, are. I, I we will just be. have okay. to figure out how to get them. Awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. And so I'm going to start with, uh, what, one female and then... Oh, two males two and males. one female. Okay. Yeah, so you that reverse trio. Mm -hmm. Because they're paternal mouth mm -hmm. breeders. So, um, that, that means daddy has to, has to do all the work. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, same thing. It's well, just, you know. Yeah, well, true, true. <laughs> uh, and, and no mouth rooting with the splendens. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. What is a... Because I'm, I'm being very conscious of time. I don't want to keep you here longer than, mm -hmm. uh, than I have to. Mm -hmm. um, what's the quick, like two or three minute rundown on better rubra. And mm -hmm. then maybe, you know, once you send them up and I have some experience with them, we can jump on a Skype call and, oh, uh, sure. and just kind of go over that. And yeah. Yeah. So 
what's the what's the like two three uh, minute rundown? So easy. Uh, paternal mouth brooders. Um, again, feed them really well. Uh, white worms I like to use. Just nice fatty foods for conditioning. They can be kept at room temp or sounds like your fish room is the perfect temperature for them. And then uh, you just keep them in a colony. Lots of hiding places. Um, although my fish are pretty friendly. So, and then uh, you just you just wait. <laughs> they can be. I've had. People with my better Aruba have them in all different water conditions, you know, soft, hard, mm -hmm. salty, doesn't matter. Um, and then um, the female initiates spawning and then she can spawn with more than one male at a time. Male holds for around 21 days, can be anywhere from like, I've had them 19 to 24, 27 days if it's really cold. And then um, the male spits out pretty large fry, and the fry can take baby brine shrimp right away. Nice. So, and, and then do you, do you pull yeah. the fry? Uh, I've done all variations. Um, the easiest is to pull the male into another container mm. where you want the fry. Can be any container that you want, however you rear your fry, and then put put the male back into his own tank before you put him back into the colony. Let it recuperate a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, he doesn't eat at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, the female will initiate spawning right away. Mm. And we've had instances in our club where the females are so ravenous that they will, um, they'll literally starve the males to death, just like breeding constantly. Oh, he never eats for three months, you Jeez. know. Yeah, you got to be careful. <laughs> that's very cool. And that's a pretty fish. Yeah, yeah, gorgeous. Does this, does this have a nickname? Like uh, the blah, blah, blah. I don't blah, think so. Better. Oh, look, they are mine on the left side. Those are my better rubric. The ones you, you will go, be yeah. getting. Inglorious yeah. Betas. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're very beautiful. There's two forms. There's round tail and spade tail. Mm. Uh, I'm partial to spade tail. I think they look a little more exaggerated. Um, I assume this bottom right here is spade tail, right? That's spade tail, yes. Yeah, that looks awesome. Yeah. I've never uh, bred the round tail or tried. I, I would be very curious how those interact with each other. Uh, like which one's dominant or recessive to the other? Mm -hmm. I have no idea. I've only just ever worked with the spade tails. So this is I'm I'm very excited about this. <laughs> I think this is going to be pretty cool. Yeah, to, and they're so easy. Oh my goodness, but they're like the guppies of betas. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's going to be like three months. Listeners going to be like, hey, Randy, how are those uh, better rubies doing? Uh, <laughs> just breathing like crazy, that female. Oof. Oh, my goodness. She's a, she's a real hustler. Man. <laughs> yeah, they're fun, though. No, so. definitely. All right, Jan. Well, this has been super fun. I have uh, definitely enjoyed giving you a chance to tour our warehouse and uh, oh, yeah. and now being able to record a, a socially distanced podcast with you. We are still masked up. Hopefully, the quality of the Sure microphones <laughs> doesn't even make it sound like we're actually masked up uh, and sitting very far apart from each other. Yeah, and there's there's like multiple fans blowing there, in here. There are multiple fans blowing in here. We have HEPA filters. <laughs> we have UV lights. We're actually wearing protective sunglasses to kill everything in the air. Um, but yeah, I hope everybody's enjoyed this episode. I certainly have, and Jan, I definitely want to want to have you back on because you've been oh, that'd be wonderful. If, you'll, if you would have me of, if of you would course. have me because there's like diseases <laughs> and just like there's so much stuff that we could talk about your experience with uh the the podcast um current favorite of the okifinoki pygmy sunfish oh yeah i have, love those you have experience with those ones as well mm -hmm. um you've already told me the secret though on how to breed them <laughs> Don't tell. Bob, don't, don't tell. Don't tell Bob Steenfot. <laughs> I'm not, and I'm, I'm purposely diverting the conversation away from that so that <laughs> he doesn't learn. Not that Bob even listens to the podcast. I mean, it's on YouTube, I think. No, <laughs> stop it, stop it, Jan, stop it. All right, Jan. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs>